Welcome to Bitchwick, a New York-based dating podcast where I, your host Mitchie, and my guests explore the complicated, fun, magical, and sometimes just downright fucked aspects of dating in New York City. The next stop is Bedford Avenue. A lot of people love going to a bar for a first date because they feel like alcohol cuts the tension, it's easy, and there's an abundance of bars all throughout the city. So I wanted to pause and pose the question if alcohol use in relationships can be romantic. And when does alcohol use and drug use stop being romantic when it comes to our romantic and sexual relationships? To talk about everything sex and sober related, I brought in sober sex and relationship writer Tawny Laura. Tawny is an amazing writer and who has written for a lot of major publications and hosts a podcast called Recovery Rocks. Here we have Tawny, if you want to just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hello. Yes, I am a writer, podcaster, you know, all of the things. We have to wear all these hats these days. Um, But I would say like, yeah, I'm a writer and I predominantly write about the intersection of um, sex and sobriety. And uh, that's, I guess you could say that's my niche in the online recovery space. Um, And it's, you know, I gravitated toward that conversation because when I got sober, or at least began questioning my relationship with alcohol, the thought of, you know, sex and dating without booze scared the hell out of me. And there weren't a ton of resources out there for how to do it. So um, I like to say that my target audience is like 25 year old me who was just trying to figure shit out. <laughs> Ooh, that's great. I'm glad that like 25 year old you has you now. <laughs> <laughs> Ten, year, 10 years later. <laughs> you know, beggars can't be choosers. It's true. Beggars <laughs> can't be choosers. I'm so glad that you brought up the point, you know, it's nerve wracking to go on a date without alcohol. And I've been trying really, really hard to ensure that my first dates don't center around drinking. Because I think a lot of people use alcohol as a lubricant, which is like is totally fine there's no judgment there but definitely um from what I've seen or what I've questioned for myself is would I have felt like was it a spark or was I tipsy (laughs) that's 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 it right there yeah was it a spark or was I tipsy and the thing is it's like I feel like the the people that I developed like really strong feelings for I didn't have to drink with them in every interaction I just felt so comfortable and I and I I enjoyed their company so so much so it's like at a certain point it shouldn't be a vice and you know I still go on dates where you know we will go out for a drink but it's kind of lazy it's kind of lazy I'm not gonna lie it's kind of lazy yeah I mean it's and I I scare, I tend to scare some people when I, when I have this conversation, because they feel people that drink alcohol sometimes feel judged 
um, by this conversation. And it, I just want to reiterate that it in, in no way are you and I <laughs> judging. Um, I just like, I, I know that like drinking alcohol doesn't make me, or not drinking alcohol does not make me better than anyone else. Um, but I will say it makes me better, a better version of myself. And so that's what I'm bringing to my career, to my now um, committed relationship, to my, you know, friends and family and, you know, remove, removing that definitely helped. And um, so I just, I wanted to, to say that to not, I don't want drinkers to feel alienated by this conversation. Um, but to, to your point about how, you know, let's get drinks. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's pretty lazy, especially if you live in a cool city, you know, like where there's stuff to do. Um, why not, why not do stuff? Let's do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Should be the name of our podcast. Let's do, <laughs> just, just do stuff. <laughs> no, but it's true. And I think it's important for people to not get defensive because the whole point of the series of where I wanted to dissect where drinking or other like recreational drugs become romantic or becomes a vice um, when you're in a romantic relationship. Because I do think that someone who has not a codependent relationship on those substances, it could totally heighten an experience and it could be very romantic to feel, um, to undergo that experience with someone else. But I always wonder, do we as a society depend way too much on these substances to create a bond? Especially um, when like, there's a bar on every corner in New York City. <laughs> um, but how did you start your recovery process? Yeah. Um, well, first I want to say, yes, we are glamorizing alcohol way too much and it's, it's society, it's pop culture. It's, it's just ingrained in us, you know, from a, a young age where it's like, you turn 21, you get fucked up. That's what you do. Like, it's, it's just like, you take a bunch of shots and you don't remember the night. And it's this like, rite of rite of passage, this American rite of passage. And we see those tropes, um, also glamorized through um, pop culture, you know, where we see people drinking alcohol on dates, on TV and film. We see, you know, even, you know, Sex in the City, like as ahead of its time as it was when, you know, there's an episode when Carrie Bradshaw um, needs to have a, needs to have a conversation with Berger that if you're listening and I don't know if you've watched Sex in the City, but I've seen them all way too many times. Okay. So, you know, when Carrie and Berger, they're having like bad sex. So she has to get wasted on margaritas before she can talk to him about it. And it's like, if Carrie Bradshaw, you know, like <laughs> America's sex writer, you know, like if she needs alcohol to talk to her boyfriend about their sex lives, we're fucked. You know, like, like what, like, what is that? And that was what, 25 years ago, you know, and like that show was so ahead of its time in so many ways. Um, but we see these tropes over and over and over to where it just, it makes sense. Like, oh, well, I need to have this like really scary conversation. So I need to drink first. And 
I'm here to say that you don't. <laughs> um, so your question was <laughs> how uh, did my recovery journey begin? Um, there, the, so the term sober curious wasn't around when I got sober, but I would say that that's definitely what I was. Mm -hmm. So um, sober curious just means that you're curious about sobriety. You're maybe you're questioning your relationship with alcohol. Maybe you're cutting back. Maybe you're, you know, it, it can mean a bunch of different things, but to me, I was questioning my relationship with alcohol and um, I decided to, to go a year without drinking. And um, I started a blog and I documented the whole thing. And um, here we are five and a half years later and I've been sober ever since. And it's just not, not drinking really just helped me meet, really helped me meet myself. It helped me, um, you know, I saw all of these ways that I used alcohol to self-medicate, to self-soothe, to um, people please, uh, just to really just be this other version of myself that was predominantly for other people or this caricature of myself that I created because I couldn't deal with reality. Um, so, you know, it's been five and a half years of sobriety, therapy, support groups, journaling, writing, yoga. I mean, it's a, they call it recovery because it's, you know, there's no, there's no like check done. <laughs> like I've completed it. It's, it is ongoing and you are always peeling back these layers and learning new things that it, it is an ever evolving journey. It is an ever evolving journey. And Congratulations on five years. That is a huge, huge deal and a huge, huge milestone. And for you to make that commitment to yourself is really, really beautiful. And I think it's really, really hard for a lot of people because I don't think many people understand, A, the psychology behind addiction or dependence. And then on top of that, and when you do live in such a large city like New York City, how much drinking is so, so prevalent. And I didn't even actually, like, I love sex in the city. And I didn't even think about <laughs> how Carrie had to get, like, fucked up. This is why I think Samantha should have been the main character yeah. of sex in the city. Samantha would have told you straight. She didn't <laughs> need a drink. Yep. But, Yeah. It's really, really hard even for, it just shows that just because you work within like talking about sex, even for myself, I, I run this podcast and there are still some conversations that are hard for me to have with certain partners. So it's always, and I mean, not that I'm going to get belligerently drunk on my burritos and have those conversations. Um, but I don't hold it against anyone <laughs> because we're not taught to talk about sex openly, right? We're not mm -hmm. taught because we're taught that, especially for those who are women or femme presenting, the idea of talking about your needs comes across as needy, as needy, um, as dependent, high maintenance. We're so afraid of these words that we have to literally water ourselves down. And I think <laughs> yeah. some people water themselves down with alcohol. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, you know, these, 
these pop culture and societal tropes that we're talking about, they exist for a reason, right? Like they exist because we can't talk about sex. We're just now at a point in time where we are able to talk about mental health and feelings. Um, men still aren't allowed to talk about their feelings. I think that might be <laughs> hopefully soon. Um, so there's all sorts of repression happening and it's uh, a lot of it and you know alcohol can quote help you quote process <laughs> that um, because we think that you know we take a shot of tequila to, for liquid courage to ask that guy out on a date but if you really break that down it's like but why did you need that shot of tequila like what's going on what's going on there and that's something you and I can't answer. That's something that a therapist can help with or a support group or even a journal can help, you know, just, just asking yourself these questions, exploring why you're reaching for this alcohol. And I think, I really think that's what sober curious is or even recovery, whatever. I think that it's just, we're in this interesting time right now where we are examining our relationships with alcohol um, in a nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. How would you compare your relationship, your journey with like sex and relationships when you did drink? Because I know that you did drink heavily when you did and how I read a little bit about how that affected your relationships and your dating compared to now where you are in yeah. a committed relationship. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my... I would say, you know, drunk sex, even if I wasn't drunk when I was having it, I was still like a party girl. I still had that mindset, you know? Um, I, a lot of the sex and dating that I was uh, participating in, it was predominantly for, a lot of it was for other people. Um, like, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed sex. I, 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 I loved having sex, but there was also this performative element to it where, um, I was faking orgasms because I thought that it, 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 like sex was fun, but it's also like this way to please this other person, not necessarily ask for what I want. So it's easier to just fake an orgasm, let this person think that they pleased me to, to completion and then they can come and then we go to bed. And, and that was something that, you know, I still, I still am unpacking in therapy um, because it's, I think a lot of that was, was ingrained with, you know, um, I'm very pro-porn, very pro-sex work. And I see how the porn I grew up watching fucked me up because it, you know, now there's, you know, women and queer people behind the, behind the camera and there, it's empow- it, there's this empowering element to it. But growing up, it was, you know, men behind the scenes um, doing, (laughs) men doing terrible things to women. And I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I thought that was, um, you know, a penis goes into a vagina and then five seconds later, she's having this like mind blowing orgasm. So I thought I was, that I was like, well, I haven't had an orgasm yet. So something's wrong with me. Um, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't taking the time to get to know my own body and be confident in who I am sexually. I was, it was all, it was for other people. And um, in recovery, I've, you know, 
I spent a lot of single time. I was single, like not dating, you know, getting to know my body, getting to know myself, getting to know what turns me on before bringing another person into it. And that's just been huge. And then like, you know, once you figure out what turns you on, not what you think should turn you on, you know, once you, once you differentiate those two, and then you feel confident enough to communicate that to a partner, game changer. And I'm, you know, I needed sobriety to get me there. I needed to remove alcohol from the situation for me to get there. And I'm just so grateful that I did. Oh, that's amazing. And I think a lot of people, even sober, can relate to the idea that sex has to be performative. And it doesn't. It doesn't. And I think it took me a really, really long time to let go of that idea. I have a question. I want, um, like, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Do you feel like because sex was so performative for you, especially with all the um, porn that you watched or like were had access to that was very performative. Do you feel like, oh, since I am not having an orgasm like these girls, maybe if I get drunk, I will feel better when I'm having sex. So did I feel like that? Yeah. Like, was that a thought yeah. process for you? Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I've also... I've also learned that like, yes, of course, orgasms are great, but it's not, that's just like one part (laughs) of sex. Like there's so many fun things you can do that like an orgasm doesn't need to be like the end goal. It, it feels great, but it's like, there's all sorts of like, you know, you can play there. You can play with different like sensations and textures and foreplay and just like syncing your breath with your partner or eye contact, like just exploring each other's body out of curiosity and fun. Like those things, like I never did stuff like that. I was always like, great, we're making out, put your dick in me and let's go, (laughs) you know? And now um, I'm, I like to take, like take my time with my partner and like, and myself too, you know, like I'd like to take my, take my time with myself. Like and communicate if I'm not in the mood. Nope. But before I would always be in the mood because I always needed to please someone else. Mm, that's really big. Yeah. I think slowing down is very scary because it's so intimate. Like it's, it's terrifying. Scary. It's, it's fucking scary. It's eye contact scary. used to scare the shit out of me. It really? like eye contact and hand holding to me were like the most intimate things. I don't, I'm okay. I'm great with it now, but it's because I spent a lot of work, a lot of time working on it, but it's because like you said, it's the slowing down. It's the intimacy. It's the, it's not the, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's like, slow down, breathe. Let's like have an intimate connection, not this like theatrical sexual experience. Yeah. 100%. And I think what's so, I think, scary also for like, I mean, for me, hand-holding is my shit. I love (laughs) hand-holding, but I'm a very physically affectionate person. So eye contact and hand-holding, personally, it makes me feel very special. But of course, like, 
I'm thinking of times that I've just gotten like a little, little too drunk. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of hard to focus <laughs> or um, to slow down when like your brain is kind of all over the place. Oh no, it's like it's also like, do I want to slow down with the people that I chose while I was <clears throat> drunk? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Well, and even, you know, on a very, um, on a very, you know, basic scientific level, like, you know, we, like, we drink alcohol to, to numb our senses, right? To check out, to relax. So it, while it's doing that to our minds, it's doing that to our body too. So it is reducing clitoral sensations. It is, you know, it could lead to erectile dysfunction. Like we all know whiskey dick is a thing. Um, and for people with vaginas, it can hinder, um, like it can hinder your lubrication because it like alcohol dehydrates you. So it can hinder your vaginal lubrication. I mean, so on I this, know that. on a, yeah, like on this very, you know, scientific level, it doesn't make sense <laughs> to, to, to mix the two. Um, but like for the, for the body, it doesn't make sense, but for, we think we need it for the mind. So I think that that um, I guess dichotomy—I don't know if that's the right word—is super interesting to me. Where it doesn't help the body, doesn't help like what we think it helps our mind, but it's really hindering the body. Like it's just weird to me. Yeah, it's a very well. It's a bodily experience, and to think that like I mean, it is mind and body, but to see how it scientifically takes away or depletes the body is really, really interesting when we think about it. What was the biggest difference you saw outside of sex, just in your day-to-day dating life, when you were heavily partying compared to when you started your sobriety journey? Even though I know that you were single for a while, how did your dates start to look different? Well, like you said a minute ago, um, do I want to slow down and have an intimate experience with the people that I'm drunk, that I'm hooking up with while drunk? Probably not. A lot of that, a lot of, oh, you know, a lot of reflection on past hookups. Um, I will say I noticed that my standards changed quite a bit where um, I would, I don't even know that I had standards before. It was just like, oh, you like me. (laughs) Great. Um, And with uh, with some, you know, removing alcohol from the sex and dating scene for me, I was, you know, I really started to think of who I want to spend my time with, who is, um, I, I, you know, I will say I'm kind of all over the place right now. Um, it takes a great deal of confidence to question your relationship with alcohol, to like look in the mirror and say, I want to go on this journey, even if it's just for like 30 days. You know, like that takes a great deal of confidence and self-awareness. So I think if, you know, people can apply that to sex and dating, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Like the, the, the quote liquid courage is not needed anymore because you have like actual confidence and self-awareness in yourself. So I think for me that transferred that, that definitely transferred to where I was able to, um, the time I spent single, I got to know myself 
So I know what's important. I knew what was important to me. I knew what I valued. I knew what I wanted from someone else. And more importantly, I knew what I didn't want. I think that's also very important to think about. Um, and it's, you know, not even just dating. I think even with friendships, you know, a lot of friendships are going to go to the wayside when you, when you um, question your relationship with alcohol, it's just going to happen. You'll find out who your real friends are and who your drinking buddies were. And that's a pretty painful part. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty challenging, but you get to know yourself on this really uh, intense level, which is difficult because that's why we drank in the first place, right? Because we couldn't deal with who we really are. So then you meet who you really are and it's like, whoa, <laughs> nice to meet you 30 years later. Um, <laughs> yeah. It came. So I would, yeah, I would say just like stay, I would say like I found myself and I found standards. I think it's really important. Even if you're still, still drinking, it's important to think about what you want and what you don't want in a friendship and in a romantic relationship. Yeah. A hundred percent. You should definitely think about what you need in romance and just in your day-to-day life. I think relationships extend outside of romance our platonic relationships are so 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 important as well and just thinking about it I think I encourage everyone not just to examine their relationship with you know a substance when it comes to dating but to examine like their dating patterns and where that has led them led them to not in a judgmental way but just to really sit with yourself and to see what's going, what's going on. It took me so, so long. And I feel like also this is just something that occurs when you do hit your mid to late 20s. You do get to gain a stronger sense of self, you know. And I'm very, very happy for that. But I'm still constantly exploring what I do and don't like in relationships, unpacking if I like a person or do I like the attention that they give me. And especially as a queer person, also examining my feelings in that space as well, because I feel like a lot of queer spaces, I actually had this conversation with one of my really good friends that a lot of queer spaces are alcohol focused. And they're focused around nightlife. Yeah, it's I I'm so glad that you brought that up. That's it's such an important conversation. Um, it's I'm bisexual and I really em- learned to embrace my bisexuality in in my recovery. Um, and I, you know, kind of like how we talked about how when you turn 21, there's this rite of passage. You go to the bar, you get wasted in the queer community. There's this rite of passage where it's like you turn 18, you go to the gay bar. And, you know, you have the X's on your hand, but it doesn't matter because you're around other people that are like you. And it is considered a safe space because you're able to express your gender and sexuality. And in that right, it is incredibly important and and safe. And I'm glad that that space exists. You know, every city has one, even the small towns, they have have one. 
the problem with that, like you said, is that it is inherently linked with alcohol consumption and drug culture. And, you know, we are taught from a young age that our queer identity is tied to alcohol consumption because alcohol fueled places are our safe spaces. No, 100%. And I, and I also understand that for so, so long, and, and even still today, not in New York City, but definitely in other places around the country, being gay or being queer, part of the LGBT community, was so looked down upon. And a lot of people had to hide themselves away because society did not accept them. And that's why a lot of queer culture objectively had to be move over to nightlife because it's like you're in the night, there's less judgment. You know, I understand the, like, the complexity around that and how queer culture started to become more in sync with nightlife because we basically had to hide in the dark um, and we couldn't be ourselves and we couldn't, you know, love the people that we love, freely express ourselves. And like, that's why I love New York City, because like, you can, you know, it's much more open, obviously, than, you know, a small town in like Minnesota, or Ohio, you know, you can openly be gay in New York City, and no one's gonna bat a fucking eyelash. But it's, we still have a lot of our queer culture still tied to nightlife. So I wonder if there's a way to kind of bring it to light. I mean, I have seen, um, I don't know if you've heard of the app Lex. This is not a plug, by the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I'm getting paid for this. But there is a queer community and dating app called Lex. And you can, like, post on there. And I see people like, hey, can we do, like, a queer roller skating meetup? Or, like, queer hangs. Or even on TikTok, I see people like, queer hangs in, like, Central Park and stuff like that. So I love that people are kind of creating, like, day activities to meet and meet up and to really connect with their queer family. Like that is so, so important. But I wonder if there's a way or spaces that we can create outside of just LGBT community centers. Um, yeah, I'm, th- I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Lex. I just brought it up on my computer over here. I'm like definitely going to do a deep dive on that after yes. this call. Download it to your um, phone. See how you feel. This is so cool. Um, yeah, Lex, L-E-X, that's amazing. Um, it, there, there's definitely, that conversation is happening. And there's, you know, there's a, some Instagram accounts like queer and sober social, gay and sober, um, one th- like the 1,000 hours dry uh, recovery community. They have like 1,000 hours dry BIPOC, 1,000 hours dry LGBTQ. So like, there's definitely this intersection of uh, sober and queer that is super exciting. Um, and then the also what excites me about this, this app that you talked about with Lex, I love that it's like not necessarily like a sober thing, 
but it's just like understood that like, hey, we want to do other stuff too. Like we want to, we want to not drink and hang out. And I think that's so cool. Um, and on, you know, on the topic of apps, there are a lot of uh, sober, sober friendly dating apps. There's, you know, like one that's literally called sober dating, um, lucid, L-O-O-S-I-D, um, cl- clean and sober love, like just to, you know, connect with people that don't drink because it's like anyone who's on the apps you know anyone who's on the apps knows that like you said drinks is the default first date activity and it's kind of lazy but we all understand why it's the first it's just it's it works for that reason too right um so it's it's there's all of these apps and conversations and social media pages for this conversation. So I'm really glad. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely look into those. Um, but yeah, I love that we can create spaces where it doesn't necessarily have to revolve around drinking culture. And I love a good drink. I went out last night. This is also like, I want to reiterate, this is not to slam on anyone who does drink, Mm -hmm. but it's just to really put up the question, like to see like, when are things romantic and when are they dependent? And I feel like, you know, wow, my brain just (laughs) looped out. (laughs) Um, It's nice to see um, and to have the option of meeting other people when there's like an activity or just like a hang that isn't at night. Like just thinking about it in like this clear implications of like how much queer society has been pushed into the dark and like the beauty of just hanging out in public and being yourself and exploring that with your community, I think is so beautiful without the pressures and everything that is tied to nightlife I think that is like really really beautiful it is and like you said in New York we're allowed to be ourselves here whatever the hell that means and it's like not just tolerated but celebrated and you know to live in to be to be queer in New York is is magical and it's beautiful and it's it's you know it means that you're seen and you have this community and it doesn't have to be in the in the dark like people you know seeing same sex couples um and just holding hands uh drag queens hopping on the subway i mean it's just like it's and you don't even bad an eyelash it's like oh yeah whatever you know it's just like cool great whatever um the other day we had a a, a drag queen filming a music video in the park behind us and it's like great you know, like, it's just, there was like, it was just such this New York moment where there's a drag queen filming a music video on one side of the park, and then um, three Muslim women um, and their children playing. And it's just like, you know, yeah, it's just like, I was like, I would never see this anywhere else. This is, this is why New York is magic. You would never see it anywhere (laughs) else. That's also like, I went to a smoke shop and I had dinner with one of my friends and she's like, oh, I forgot my vape. Um, let me just buy a quick little vape. And we were in the smoke shop and 
there is these i'm pretty sure it was a rap video it was music artist came in head to toe in like demon sfx makeup recording a music video just going around and like they came into this room shop it was really well done whoever did the makeup i don't know yeah. if they're listening i think <laughs> killed it it was amazing and i was like you know what i just saw a deem two demons in a smoke shop and um you know where else am i gonna see that where else am i gonna see that so, I, I I hope I can't wait until I just randomly see like this music video on Instagram of a demon and I'll be like, that's what she was talking about. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time. And I think like um, me and my friend Erica were talking about our ideal dates or what we think is an ideal date. Um, so if and I don't know if you can confirm. But I just realized that they don't have to center on they don't center on alcohol. So if you guys are curious of ideas for dates, here are some that me and Erica talked about. On a date, we like to feel very important in the center, in the center of the world. <laughs> on a date. So I feel like movies are not a good first date. Because you're not really talking. You're not really connecting. As we said, alcohol, easy. But like a bar, easy, but kind of lazy. I think the best kind of dates are where there is something you can look at, but it doesn't stop you from like having conversation and like connecting. We personally thought that going to a museum or like the MoMA, I know some people might feel a little offended by this, is a lot for a first date. It's a lot. <laughs> but botanical garden much <laughs> it's just flowers <laughs> can't go wrong with that i think something like the botanical gardens doing activities together like mini golf or roller skating mm -hmm. going for a walk in the park so that you're able to do an activity but it isn't so encompassing that it stops you from having real conversation with this person and i think that's like the most important thing when it comes to a real date is how do I foster connection without being overwhelmed? I think is the biggest takeaway. Yeah, and I think you're spot on with suggesting activity-based dates. Um, anything from, you know, maybe MoMA is a bit much for the first date, like you said, but there's also there's always some sort of event going on or a pop-up or an exhibit or, um, you know, the zoo. Um, like I Ice think cream. something, yeah, <laughs> I think just like something that is where you're moving. I think there's like some magic to that too, because like sober dating, dating is awkward. Like I, I, I hate it. I truly hated it. I, I hated it. <laughs> um, but I love, I love my partner. And you have to, you have to do it. You know, you have to, if you want to find a partner or partners, you have, you have to date. Like that's just, it is what it is. Um, so, but when you're sober dating, there is this anxiety and this energy. Cause like, we didn't take that shot of liquid courage first, you know? So there might be some like legs twitching arms, like, you know, picking your fingernails. So I think 
having some sort of movement so you're able to get that anxious energy out of the body can be good for body and mind when sober dating. A hundred percent. I think that's really what it is, like being able to move around and not be so focused on the fact that you're on a date with a stranger, I think is really important. Well, thank you so much, Tawny, for coming on. Is there anything that you wanted to say um, before we log off? Um, I, well, thank you for having me. And I think, you know, if you're listening and you are questioning your relationship with alcohol, you're not alone. Um, I will say now is a great time to question your relationship with alcohol, even if you're not, even if you have no interest in getting sober, um, but you're kind of curious, this conversation intrigues you. Um, you know, I would check out uh, Ruby Warrington wrote a book called Sober Curious. She coined the term. She has a podcast about it. I think that's a really good um, intro to the to that community. Um, and even just looking up like hashtag sober, hashtag queer and sober, hashtag sober women, um, you will find some really interesting information on there. So just uh, you're not alone. Yeah, and you don't you don't have to go on a sobriety journey to question your relationships or what you want during sex and dating. So thank you so much, Tani, and I hope everyone tunes in for our next episode. Thank you for everyone who listened to today's episode. If you found today's episode interesting or if it changed your mind around your relationship with sex and dating or it hasn't, please let us know and write to us on Bitchwick Podcast. You can find us on Instagram. If you'd like to learn more about Tawny Laura and follow the products and read any of her articles, you can find her on Instagram, Tawny M. Laura. That's T A W N Y M L A R A. Or you can also find Tawny at her website, which is www.tawnylaura.com. This is a Brooklyn bound L train. The next.